Live from the Fremont Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's special Valentine's Day show, Kiss and Tell. May the narrative be with you. I was lying in the crook of Dusty's arm with my head halfway on his shoulder, halfway on his chest. Not really any different than the countless other times that had happened over the last two decades. Except for the fact that just a few hours before that moment, I had been furious with him. And had it not been that his mom flew in to Portland for the weekend and months before I had agreed to meet them at the hotel for cocktails and dinner, I'm sure he would have canceled had it just been Dusty. I had never been so mad at him. I hadn't seen him in three months and during that time, my life had exploded. In that time, I had suddenly been out of a five and a half year relationship who I thought was my forever person. By virtue of that, I lived in a new home. I didn't have my dog. I ended up getting a new job. I had a new schedule. I had a new commute. I lived in a new neighborhood. I even had new friends. Everything about my life had shifted. And despite the fact that those first weeks were brutal and I had reached out to him, he just didn't show up. And up until that time, Dusty's always been in my life some way or the other. So we've known each other since we were 16 years old, and we happened to meet at the exact time of the first major pivotal life moment. So I'd moved from my small California town with my traditional Mormon family, and I moved away to some extended family member to finish up high school in the big city of Denver, Colorado. And that very first week, I met Dusty in high school, and fortunately, we became friends and part of a small-knit group of friends. And we eventually started dating, and Dusty became my high school sweetheart. And we had all the fun memories that high schoolers do, of course. Um, And while he was absolutely my first love, we separated at 17. And I can't tell you what it was that I knew about Dusty or that we would have this connection, but I just knew. And it's why I kept the Dusty and Stephanie box. Now I have this cardboard box, I still have it, started it from like our first date. And in this box are photos and they're hilarious because I can take them out now and I see these pictures of Dusty at 16, same Dusty, right? (laughs) Shaggy blonde hair and piercing blue eyes. And always with this smile on his face, and he always had something in his hand, either like rocking out to the microphone or his penis. (laughs) Same Dusty. Same Dusty. There were love letters and poems, and then same Stephanie. Analytical in my head, always planning. So I have this same piece of paper that we passed back and forth in biology class that first Monday morning after the wild weekend that we made out. Same Stephanie, like, what do you think this means? How are you feeling? You know, where do you think this is going to go? In my head, same Stephanie. And of course, in this box are the typical high school things. So we have movie stubs and concert tickets and the dried up pink corsage that he got me for prom. Even the very first Valentine's Day gift, which he bought. Godiva chocolates. There's still a crumbly little one in that gold box. So while I 
kept this box and still have it. And of course, it's the physical memories. Wherever it is in my closet, in whatever state, in whatever apartment I live in that I've shifted it around, when I look at this box, it reminds me of all the fun memories that we had. Now, Dusty and I didn't keep in regular contact after high school. We made attempts, so there were phone calls at the time. You know, you dialed the operator, and you found somebody with the last name, and you figured out a relative. Occasionally, a postcard would show up at my mom's house, like, crab fishing in Alaska, hope I get to see you sometime. Um, and then, of course, the very progressive website that you found your high school people, not Facebook, but classmates.com. <laughs> there was a message, Stephanie, where are you? So it was a little over a decade later that I flew over to Oregon and I went to see Dusty. And immediately it was like the same fun, easy friendship. We hugged and it was immediately, you know, bonding and having a good time. And what I remember most about that long weekend is driving up to this hilltop and overlooking the ocean. And we were sitting on the back of his tailgate and we were kind of back to back and shoulder to shoulder and drinking wine and watching the sunset and just catching up like it had been well over 10 years. And we're just chatting and he kind of pops up and was like, and he says, really, like gay? How the hell did I miss that? <laughs> and we chatted and we bantered about his conservative views. And from that moment on, truly, Dusty and his family became an integral part of my life of me. And when I moved to Portland a couple years later, we really slipped into a routine, the same one that we have to this day. So Dusty either comes to Portland and it's usually a hotel or stays with me and it's always fancy hotels or hipster things like beer festivals, <laughs> maybe some storytelling events. <laughs> Most of the time, it's me driving to the coast. So I pack up my things and I stop at the grocery store and I buy however many groceries for however many days I'm going to stay. And I get to his house and I unpack and I start to cook and whatever mealtime it is, he comes home and we hug and we sit down and we have a meal and we catch up. It might have been two weeks or three months, but we catch up and we just sit and talk. Um, during that time, right? So sometimes we go to the beach, sometimes we hang out on the couch and watch a movie. At the end of the night, we always end the night, Dusty goes to his room and I go to my room or the guest room. <laughs> and he says, good night, Steph, love you. And I say, good night, Dusty, love you. And when his alarm goes off at 7 a.m., I get up and I go to the bathroom and I brush my teeth and then I climb in bed with Dusty. And then we chat again for another 15, 20 minutes, whatever we didn't catch up on. Most of the time, his business deals for the day and whatever we're going to eat. <laughs> and he gets up and he goes and showers where he sings very loudly. <laughs> and I make breakfast. And it's really from hotel to Dusty's kitchen to the beach or the couch. All of my life's shifts, all of my life's transitions has been processed through that moment and vice versa relationships, finances, careers, online dating, investments, and you know, even the worst things, my journey with breast cancer, everything about kind of life, despite the fact that Dusty has never been in my life day to day, it's kind of like my final processing moment. So when I was laying next to him that night, it was like this relief because for three months, while I had 
gotten better on my own, there was still this moment like, ah, I can finally like let some of this go. We had gone to dinner a couple hours before and I let it all on the table. I told him what a shithead I thought he was for not showing up for me. I processed and told him how miserable I was and how terrified I had been and am about what my future looks like and how much changes. And he listened and he apologized and there were some tears, but he was also able to share with me what was going on for him. It's not like I didn't know that Dusty hadn't been sick. He has been sick for quite a while. Um, he has an autoimmune disease. It's called ulcerative colitis. And basically, your body attacks itself, your intestines and your colon. And the worst part of it is you don't have control of your bowels. That sucks. And for three months, I was spiraling, but so was he. He was in this horrible place. And despite good health care and all those things, he couldn't get healthy. And so here we were over dinner, and I realized, God, we're both in this vulnerable place. It's not like we're not whole people. We're both in our 40s. We have solid careers. We have core friendships. We know our beliefs and our value systems. But what happens when you don't have your romantic true love? How do you look past that when you're at odds with your own body? For me, it didn't occur to me that I was suddenly going to have to date post-breast cancer. It just, that wasn't in my mind. How am I going to have to be intimate or naked and be a breastless person? And I get that it shouldn't be a big deal, but it fucking is. I'm trying for it not to be, but it is. And how does Dusty go about inviting somebody on a date. I mean, most, right, you're trying to figure out the restaurant and where's the best place, when all you care about is where is the restroom and am I gonna make it on time? So, as I laid next to him, I took this big breath and I thought, shit, why is life so hard sometimes? And in that moment, and I took this breath, I can't really describe it other than a sensory memory. It's kind of like when you grab that old blanket from the closet and it just kind of covers you. And it's warm and it's soft and it smells familiar and it's safe. And after those three months of just spiraling, it felt like a moment of calm. And I can't say why, whether it's nostalgia or first love or the lots of alcohol or the deep reeling effect of heartache, but I looked up and somehow we kissed. And not like the exploding new love or intense, passionate makeouts, you know, the soft, gentle, compassionate kisses, like these subliminal messages of strength. Like, I see you. You are beautiful as you are. Flaws and scars and illness, you are perfect and you are worthy. And I know for me, I had been a train wreck. And I had told lots of people, like, I am drowning. And that's what I felt like. And in that moment, it was like having been underwater and you can't breathe. And it was just enough like somebody gave you some oxygen just to get you to the top, just to say, like, you're okay, you're gonna be okay. And we fell asleep, and we woke up, we were kind of face to face, and I opened my eyes, 
And it took about two seconds before we looked at each other and started hysterically laughing. <laughs> and laughing. And Dusty was the first one to speak and said, thank God we have 26 years of life experience to make up for this awkwardness. <laughs> and I agreed. And we laughed and we, you know, got up and got ready for the day and we went, we went and had breakfast and we met up with some of his family and of course, as always, we have fun. But every time we met eye contact, we, <laughs> we were like, oh God. And we joked and we kind of huddled in the corner of the table and, you know, smiling was like, maybe that wasn't the best idea of dealing with our vulnerabilities. And then, you know, we had a conversation like, are we telling anybody about this? And Dusty was like, hell no. Especially not my dad. And we laughed and we got done with breakfast and we were going to the hotel to wrap up the day or the weekend. And as we were walking back, it was snowpocalypse two or three. So there was ice and snow and Dusty had a colitis attack. And he was... You know, we had to get to the hotel, and you can see it, but it's, I mean, it's, it was maybe Snowpocalypse 3. I mean, it was intense, and we're trying to get there. And he went ahead, and as I got into the hotel, you could see him at the elevator, and it's not that you could tell anything, but I could tell by just the way he was kind of standing, his presence, that he hadn't made it. We didn't say anything, and we went up the elevator, and we got into the room, and it was a routine. He went into the bathroom and started stripping, and I grabbed his bag, and I threw it in. And as he was showering, I took off my shoes and I realized I was wearing my prosthetics that day and it's annoying and they hurt and I shoved them in my bag. And he got out of the shower, freshly clean, and I was sitting on um, the hotel bed and he looked a little off and I had him come sit next to me and there we were, you know, thigh to thigh and shoulder to shoulder and he kind of sighed and then he laughed and was like, Thanks for kissing on the guy who shits himself. <laughs> and we laughed, and I was like, thanks for kissing on the titless girl. <laughs> and, you know, he put his hand on my leg, and I thought, this is one for the memory box. <laughs> and we kind of, you know, wrapped up the weekend, and um, it was not even a week later that I got the phone call about sharing a love story. <laughs> And I had this moment of panic because truthfully, love has recently kicked my ass. But then I thought of that memory box and I thought of Dusty and I thought, Dusty is my longest love story. And you know, from the outside looking in, that box is cute and perfect, right? But when you really know our story, our love is pretty outside the box. And the truth is, all great love mostly is found outside the box. And when I think of the world and how much fear and how much hate is happening right now, it seems so much more relevant to understand that love is not defined by gender or age or religion. And it's certainly not defined by sexual orientation or politics or immigration status. Love is limitless. And as Valentine's Day comes, and I am happy for all of you who found your true romantic love, and it's okay for those of us who still search, 
But when I remind myself that love is not confined by those four walls or that checkmarked box of status symbols, if I keep that in mind and I think that love and connection are everywhere, then as Valentine's Day approach, not only does the world look a little less scary, it makes me feel a little less lonely.